KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. San Diego County will remain in the red tier of the state's COVID-19 reopening plan for at least one more week. That means things that are open in San Diego can remain open, at least for now. The news came from state officials yesterday who cited data on the two metrics that California uses to move counties from one tier to another. The county is reporting 6.9 new daily cases per 100,000 population. That is just 0.1 percentage point away from seven per 100,000 and the dreaded purple tier, which is the state's most restrictive. San Diego County is also posting a 3.8% positive testing rate for the novel coronavirus, and that is well within the lower orange guideline of the state's four-tier reopening system. So this news is sort of surprising. Because of our rising COVID-19 numbers, lots of people were anticipating San Diego slip into that most restrictive tier, which would shutter indoor operations for lots of local businesses. Ben Clevenger heads the local chapter of the California Restaurant Association, and he says it's good news we're staying in the red tier, but business owners are on edge. We have to think about the future. We can't think about what it's going to look like next week. We got to think about what it looks like in next month and in October, November and December, because we will. I mean, it's not going anywhere. The virus isn't going anywhere. We're well, we're well aware of that. And we just have to find a, a nice cohesiveness where we can work with the virus and keep people safe. The University of California system allowed improper factors like family connections to influence dozens of student admissions in recent years. That's according to a state audit released Tuesday. It found that more than five dozen applicants were unfairly admitted to four UC campuses, including UC San Diego. The audit, which examined admissions between the academic years of 2013 to 2014 through 2018-19, found that UC San Diego, UC Berkeley, UCLA, and UC Santa Barbara admitted 64 applicants based on their personal or family connections to donors and university staff. The majority of the allegations were leveled at UC Berkeley, which was found to have admitted 42 students based on their family's connections to the school. A pair of active-duty U.S. Marines stationed at Camp Pendleton were arrested Tuesday morning on a federal grand jury indictment. It charged one of the Marines and three civilians with conspiring to distribute narcotics to civilians and members of the Marines. The other Marine was charged as an accessory after the fact. The drugs included oxycodone pills laced with fentanyl, and one Marine suffered a fatal drug overdose in May after taking the drugs. From KBBS, I'm Kinsey Moreland. Happy to be back for a while, sitting in for Annika Colbert. It is Wednesday, September 23rd, and you are listening to San Diego News Matters, our daily news podcast powered by everyone in the KBBS newsroom. Stay with me for more of the local news you need.
KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. A protest that had gone on for weeks at the border wall construction site has been broken up by Border Patrol. KPBS reporter Max Rivlin-Nadler tells us two arrests were made on Monday following a tense weekend of confrontations. This is the United States Border Patrol. You were ordered to be vacating from this land as per the emergency closure order. The protest was part of several efforts by members of the Kumeyaay Nation and its supporters to stop wall construction. Just hours after Bureau of Land Management Marshals gave notice of the closure, Border Patrol agents arrested two protesters who remained at the construction site. BLM told protesters that it was issuing a temporary closure order to allow for blasting in the canyon they were in. The protest site had been a draw for local supporters of the Trump administration, including one woman who physically assaulted protesters over the weekend. A legal challenge to the construction, which alleges the government has not followed the law in preserving native heritage sites, fell short of stopping the project in federal court last month. The La Posta Band of Mission Indians is now appealing that ruling. So enrollment has dropped at school districts across the county during the pandemic. At San Diego Unified, the numbers for kindergarten are especially low. Richard Barrera, the school board vice president at San Diego Unified, listed a few possible factors. It's not mandatory, you know, for students to attend kindergarten. So we might have some families who are making a choice not to enroll. We might have other families that aren't clear about how to enroll. KPBS education reporter Joe Hong has more. San Diego Unified has about 2,500 fewer students than it expected this year. About two-thirds of that deficit came from kindergarten. Molly Stewart is a teacher at Ocean Beach Elementary. She said some of her families have opted for homeschooling instead of online learning through the district. Because they're concerned about the amount of screen time for their students. And so they're finding alternatives and then they let us know that as soon as we return to in-person because they live in our neighborhood, that they'll be returning. Stewart said teachers try everything they can to keep their students, including providing more supports and flexibility. Other districts have also seen dips in enrollment. Chula Vista Elementary is down by close to 600 students. The South Bay has been especially hard hit by COVID-19, and health officials also worry about the potential for a serious flu outbreak. That's why the National City Fire Department is offering free flu shots to the public. Fire Captain Scott Robinson says it's the only program of its kind in the state. Everybody is welcome. Um, Our intended population is National City residents who are um, uninsured or underinsured. But again, everybody's welcome throughout the, the county. KBBS reporter Jacob Ayer has details. National City's Fire Department has teamed up with the nursing program at Point Loma Nazarene University, offering free flu shots at Fire Station 34 on Tuesdays from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Monique Sawyer is an associate professor at the university and says that she's worried about the overlap between the pandemic and the upcoming flu season. We want people to be at least protected from the flu since we don't have a COVID vaccine yet, so at least we can know that we're offering that protection um, so that if they do develop symptoms that could be, you know, looking either like COVID or the flu, we can have some certainty that they've, if they've gotten the flu vaccine, that most likely they have protection against that. The program is open to everyone in San Diego County and is expected to run through December or until supplies run out. Jacob Air, KPBS News. 
So today, by the way, is National Great American Pot Pie Day. (laughs) Yum, right? And yesterday was National Voter Registration Day. And in California, some political groups got outside to encourage residents to participate in the upcoming election in November. KPBS reporter Shalina Chetlani has the story. As the deadline for online and by mail registration comes up on October 19th, groups like the League of Women Voters are encouraging residents to get their paperwork together and sign up to vote. The League of Women Voters set up at the Mission Branch Wing of the Oceanside Library Tuesday, National Voter Registration Day. One of the members, Susan Connell, says it's their mission to provide information to voters, especially in a time when, she says, there's a lot of disinformation. And it's also important for people to uh, check their registration if they've moved, if they've changed their names, make certain that they are registered so that when they do try to vote in person or by mail, that their vote is counted. In California, residents can still register in person all the way up to Election Day on November 3rd. But to receive a mail-in ballot and ballot information, voters will have to register beforehand. So everyone has experienced COVID in different ways, some indirectly through stay-at-home orders and homeschooling and shuttered businesses. Others have had it much tougher. For some communities, the aftereffects of the disease are so great that the future looks unclear. KBBS reporter Tanya Thorne talks to a family who lost their main breadwinner to COVID-19 about how they're trying to get back on their feet. Angelico Maldonado died on August 22nd from damages left behind by COVID-19. He spent six weeks on a ventilator before having to be disconnected. Originally from Oaxaca, Mexico, Maldonado came to the U.S. 35 years ago and spent over 25 years in the roofing industry in San Diego. So my father was 68 years old. Retirement was not an option, at least not for him. Carmen Maldonado says the loss of her father is something the family is still trying to process emotionally and financially. He lived with my mom majorly. So, of course, he was the bigger income there. And when we got COVID, you know, we were out of work for a whole month. This was definitely not something we were planning to go through. Maldonado wasn't insured when the pandemic hit. He was also undocumented. Before being hospitalized, he feared the cost of medical care and being deported if he sought help, a fear that lives in many Latinos. Roberto Alcantar with the Chicano Federation says many Latinos have recently found themselves in this situation. We've seen the Latino community completely devastated in terms of positive cases uh, that have been identified with with cases being close to 71% of the cases you know, that are positive are in the Latino community, yet the Latino community is about 34% of the population in San Diego County. Alcantar says some of the factors contributing to the high positive cases are Latinos working more frontline jobs and frequenting public transportation. They may also have underlying health conditions and a lack of access to health care, and many Latinos live in multi-generational households. Maldonado met all those criteria. As a roofer, he frequently interacted with different people. He was diabetic, had no access to health care, and lived with his wife, children, and grandchildren. All of these elements made him more susceptible to catching COVID-19. And as the main breadwinner in the household, Maldonado remained at work during the restrictions as roofing jobs got busier. Alcantar says for many Latinos, working from home is a luxury that they don't have or simply can't afford. 
And we see that every day. We talk to folks who are these essential workers who say, I'm sorry, but I have no choice. You know, if I don't work today, I might not be able to pay rent tomorrow. A recent Sandag report says rent, food, utilities, transportation, and childcare expenses are just some of the top needs of San Diego households. Needs that Latino families often struggle to meet paycheck to paycheck. In July, Maldonado, his wife, and several family members were diagnosed with COVID-19. With no insurance, the family had to pay out of pocket to see a doctor and get tested. Expenses that Maldonado's wife, Maria de Los Angeles, says began to add up since their COVID diagnosis. She says, Latino families like us live day by day just to pay rent, pay bills. We don't have enough left over to save money. Now for me, it's going to be more difficult because my partner is gone. Angeles is a legal U.S. resident working on Camp Pendleton. She and her husband plan to return to Oaxaca to retire in January. Those plans have now changed, forcing Angeles to depend on her children for financial support. While Maldonado was approved for emergency medical, the family still hasn't seen a final hospital bill. She said, it's a shame, after all the years of working here, we have nothing built here. And that story from KPBS reporter Tanya Thorne. This story was produced with support from the journalism nonprofit Economic Hardship Reporting Project. Coming up, the CDC confused Americans this week, and our Midday Edition team digs in and explains what recent changes on the Center for Disease Control's website mean. That is after a quick break. Stay with me. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. In order to defeat a virus, you need to understand just how exactly it spreads. But the CDC, the U.S. Center for Disease Control, has changed its COVID-19 guidance several times on what's safe and what isn't. And it has left Americans confused and uncertain about what to believe. The latest change came about yesterday when the CDC removed recently added language about how the virus spreads through the air and aerosol particles. One of the many scientists reacting to the administration's confusing message is Kim Prater. She is Distinguished Chair in Atmospheric Chemistry at UC San Diego. KPBS Midday Edition host Allison St. John sat down with the scientist to parse things out. 
So now describe to us what the CDC website on COVID-19, how it changed last Friday. Yeah, so on Friday, CDC um, sort of quietly put up some changes, some very important changes um, on how they believe this particular virus is being spread. So they added the fact that it is, can be, um, and is likely largely transmitted through the air in the form of aerosols. And then on, um, you know, so then there was a very positive reaction in the community because that support that is supported by the science. And this was, we were very excited because this provides super helpful guidance to those opening schools and businesses. And then Monday morning, sort of just as quietly, they took it off and went back to the old guidance, which quite frankly, doesn't help as much um, in providing guidance and how to end this virus. Okay. Can you clarify how aerosols differ from droplets? Sure. So aerosols are really tiny um, and they float, they're invisible. You don't see them. And they tend, they're so small that they, when they're released, they're produced in your speech. And when you talk, when you breathe, they just come out. And lots of aerosols come out. Um, And largely for this virus, they come from people who don't know they're sick. And so these will just get in the air and float for hours. And anyone particularly indoors, can inhale and be potentially infected um, by these aerosols. Whereas droplets are just bigger, much bigger. And when they come out, and they're largely producing coughs and sneezes, which isn't as much of an issue for this virus, but nevertheless, there's droplets. Those are really big. And those have like a, almost like a cannonball trajectory, right? They come out and they fall to the ground within six feet. And so, um, you know, we don't worry as much about inhaling uh, those as we do the aerosols. So now in view of the the CDC's actions, tell us what is the scientific evidence that aerosols are a significant mode of transmission? Well, you know, the evidence that's out there, the scientific evidence, which is growing almost daily, all all of the studies have detected it only in the aerosols. Um, There really just, there isn't that many droplets as I mentioned. And so it's in the air. The scientists don't question that. We just had a National Academy workshop by distinguished scientists from around the world. We all agree, it is in the air. We know it is in the air. And so that is what we need to be out there clearly um, for public guidance. But do the scientists agree that aerosols are more likely to be the cause of spread than droplets? Yes. I mean, basically what comes down to what the, one of the big debates, quite honestly, is between different communities that, devi- that define this sort of arbitrary size of what is an aerosol, what is a droplet. So in this mm-hmm. National Academy uh, workshop that we did, we finally defined it very clearly, 100 microns. So that's, you know, anything smaller than that will float in the air. You can inhale it and get infected. Anything bigger than that will settle within six feet. And so, you know, basically that you have to sort of touch a surface, right? You're back to contact. Um, Whereas the smaller stuff floats around. So sometimes people will call aerosols droplets and some people call droplets aerosols. They're all things, you know, in the, at the end of the day, what matters is that it's in the air and you can inhale it and get sick. Although there does seem to be a difference in the behavior of the aerosols and the droplets. And I wondered if you could answer how the CDC's change affects the idea of of whether it's a good idea to wear a mask. So 
masks work for both droplets and aerosols. So they would argue, and I just heard Dr. Fauci talk this morning, he basically said nothing changes. You still need masks. You still need to be, you know, at least six feet apart, the further the better. You still need good hygiene. Um, you know, sort of all the things work for droplets or aerosols. Ventilation actually works better for aerosols. There's a little hint that it's aerosols. You want to be in more ventilated places, um, you know, things that have better filtration, you can filter them out. Um, so there's, you know, there's extra layers. What I see, I'm helping schools reopen right now and giving them advice. And one of the biggest things that we're protecting against is exposure indoors. So we're suggesting that everybody wears masks indoors all the time. There is no safe social distance, right? So that's one big one. Better ventilation. Open the windows. Open the doors. Those will have a tremendous effect on reducing the concentration of aerosols. They have virtually no effect on the droplets. The droplets just spew out, hit the ground within seconds. So we don't see that big of an effect. But for the aerosols, which we really believe, and it's really been shown so far in many cases, acquire restaurants, bars where people are talking and not wearing masks. That's where we see these big super spreader and cluster events. And those are aerosols without question. Okay, the CDC says it changed the language over the weekend because it had not been properly vetted. What's your assessment of why it changed the language? I I don't know until I see how they change how, you know, what the changes are. Uh, I will tell you that in reading it, it, it looked quite honestly a bit like a rough draft. So maybe they're just, my hope, our hope as scientists is that they're just polishing it more um, to make it a little clearer for the public, but we will see. I, you know, I won't be able to know for sure until we see the new version. Okay. Now you were quoted in the LA Times as suggesting that it was dangerous to go surfing and swimming because of COVID. Um, and even dangerous, really, to be at the beach. But I don't know if we've seen any data to suggest that surfers are getting sick uh, from COVID. Do you still hold that position? Uh, Let's just say that I was misquoted. (laughs) Very A a comment taken out of context, unfortunately, which um, basically I'll clarify here. Um, My concern when I saw people at the beach was that people were super crowded at the beach at that time. You know, everybody was too close to each other. They were not social distancing. And that was my concern. I have a separate project in San Diego, actually, in Imperial Beach that looks at sewage going into the ocean, right? And so we are in the process actively of looking to see which viruses and bacteria make their way into the ocean and into the air. It's a complete, like a research project, you know, still in process. Um, We are looking to see, as I say, which viruses make it their way in. But the beach closures closures have largely focused on what's in the water. And our question is, which, which, you know, which of any of these viruses and bacteria could get into the air and people could inhale. So that's a totally separate issue. You know, the beach being outdoors is one of the safest places you can be. So what should the average citizen do to respond to this ever-changing news? I would hope that the public will continue to trust the scientists that are not influenced by any politics. Masks are really, really important. You know, the guidance that's being given to avoid places right now where the community spread is high, indoor locations are not as safe. I can tell you that as scientists, we haven't flipped our message.
And that was Kim Prater, Distinguished Chair of Atmospheric Chemistry at UC San Diego, talking with Midday Edition host Allison St. John. Hear more interviews just like that one by finding and subscribing to Midday Edition wherever you listen to podcasts. And that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Do me a quick favor. Send this podcast to a friend you think might enjoy it. You can text it, send it through Facebook, tweet, whatever you need to do. I appreciate it in advance. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.